Well, <clears throat> you know, we're talking all year about holiness. And in the last few weeks, we've been talking about those wonderful things that holiness adds to your life. It's been a cheerful, uh, winsome kind of time. And uh, it's, it's great. Now we turn a little corner today and it gets a little tougher today. Because holiness includes some stuff. But holiness also excludes some stuff. And there's some decisions we have to make if we are ever going to come to that high standard of the holiness of God. Now, these aren't awful decisions. These are wonderful decisions. I love what they did to the, to the tune, I have decided to follow Jesus. You know, when I, when I was growing up, it was, I have decided to follow Jesus. And I'm going, wow, that sounds painful. That was, a, that was an awful decision. You know, I've, I've long thought that that ought to have a, a little bit New Orleans, uh, you know, kind of when the saints go marching in kind of tune to it. Because it's a good thing. See? And you kind of got to build a little momentum here because there's going to be a lot of barriers between here and heaven. So it's a positive thing. And when we talk about what we need to give up, it's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. It's just a little tougher thing. Now... For those of you who got your sermon outlines today, you'll know that I'm not going to start with a sermon text. I'm going to start in Genesis. So if you have your scriptures with you, you might want to turn to the second chapter of Genesis. And we will go back to the Garden of Eden, back to the original design. Remember those great old words of the Gloria Patre. As it was in the beginning, it is now and ever shall be. There is a blueprint for life. And much of that blueprint was put down in Eden. And so we will learn... From the very beginning, God meant that we would make spiritual progress only if we stayed within boundaries. We were made to make spiritual progress within boundaries. Look at me. Uh, look, look with me. <laughs> Turn around. Look at me. No. Look with me at verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Now, without going into all the Hebrew nuances of the language, let me tell you, there's, there's, there's a, there is a specific geography to paradise. Also, once you go within that specific geography, you have two marching orders. One is to cultivate it. That is, God wanted us to bring out stuff that was potentially here but not here yet. Our job is to bring out the good in the world that is potentially here but is not here yet. And the second commandment was just as positive, but it was on the preventative side. The second was to keep it. And in Hebrew, that means to draw a boundary so that that which is outside and could come in to ruin that which is inside can't get in. Therefore, from the very beginning, there was a boundary. And part of the positive commandment of God was to keep outside what could harm what is inside. Now, it says also in verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. Now you're saying, whoa, wait a minute, that's censorship in the Garden of Eden. Why would God not want man to know all that man could possibly know? Well, come in a couple of weeks and I'll tell you. 
But for right now, I just want to show you this, that even within paradise, there was boundaries. You didn't have to go outside paradise to transgress boundaries. There was even boundaries within paradise. Why? Because our ultimate spiritual growth comes from the recognition and the respect of the boundaries that God has given us. There's a certain narrowness to height. There's a certain narrowness to height. Let me tell you a story. My wife's a biology teacher, so I have all these bug stories. Some of you know what an emperor moth is. You know it's one of the largest moths there is, and you know it's beauty. You know it's huge wingspan. Emperor moths are hatched out of a, out of a, a cocoon from a very small opening. Now, you've got to realize what's inside that cocoon. cocoon. There's this huge gelatinous mass of protoplasm, this jelly-like thing. And it's got to crawl out this little bitty hole, and it will struggle to crawl through this little opening for hours and hours and hours until it is absolutely exhausted. One day, there was a little boy in the woods, and happened to come across this process. This emperor moth was struggling through this hole in its cocoon. So the little boy, being a good, good intention to the little kid, and having a pocket knife, having a Boy Scout knife, decided he'd make it a little bit easier for the emperor moth. And so he cut in very carefully, cut into that opening so that it was much larger and much easier for the emperor moth to crawl out. And so, several minutes later, this emperor moth plopped down on the ground, still a gelatinous mass with very tiny little stunted wings. What the little boy didn't know was that the process that God had made for that moth to be born was necessary to its flight. Because part of the process of crawling out of that hole was that it forced the body fluids into the wings so that they were fully developed and so that they had all of that mass in them. Literally, because the moth did not squeeze through the narrowness, he was earthbound. Literally, because the moth had an easier way and fewer boundaries, he could not fly. I want to tell you it's the same way with you and I. We get all frustrated with God because we've got these narrow boundaries. We can't hang out with so-and-so. We can't watch so-and-so. We can't do this. We can't do that. Let me tell you why. It's necessary to your flight. It is necessary for your ability to soar. You see... The boundaries in this world aren't just wide. It's not just how wide can I go. The implications of how wide we can go have implications for how high we can go. When it comes to, when it comes to, the, to, the, to the way God looks at the universe and the, and the biblically, biblical image of the universe, it's always in terms of height and, 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 and what's the highest you can go and what's the lowest you can go. In, in Psalm 139, it says, 
Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to hell, you're there. And all through scripture, you have these, these images. Now, my question to us is this. Why don't we ever see boundaries in terms of height or depth? Why don't we ever see our boundaries in terms of what we could achieve or what we will sink to? Because those are the real boundaries of life. Now, turn to your text. If, uh, if you have your scriptures with you, this is in Proverbs chapter 2. And I'll show you something wonderful here. While you're turning, by the way, let me, let me tell you, I love this. You know, I, I love reading all kinds of science stuff. And, and, and uh, uh, just a short time ago, physicists in the University of Rochester and the University of Kansas came to a conclusion about a, year, a years-long study of the analysis they, have, they had gleaned from 160 different places that were emitting, different galaxies that were emitting radio waves, not the mechanical radio we have, but that's part of the waves, the natural waves of the universe, radio waves. And after that analysis, they came to a startling conclusion. If this conclusion holds up, it will revolutionize cosmology. You see, for as long as anybody can remember, in, 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 in terms of modern cosmology, there was always the assumption that the universe had no direction, that you could, that you could go anywhere and there was no north or south, nor east, nor east or west. That's even part of Einstein's theory of relativity. But these gentlemen have concluded from a study of these waves that there is an up and a down to the universe, that there is what they call a mystical axis and that there is what is called a, uh, what, they would, what they would just term uh, uh, metaphorically, a north star. Now, it just pleases me no end when the imagery of science catches up to the imagery of the Bible. I just love that. So even, the, even cosmologists nowadays would say there is an up and a down to the universe. And so when we talk about the boundaries, here's what we've got to be careful of. We've got to be careful that once starting up, we don't take a detour and drift down. Read with me if you have your scriptures. I'll read it to you if you don't. Starting with verse 10, Proverbs 2, verse 10. By the way, this is a father talking to his son. Sounds like a mother talking to his son or her son. Uh, this is kind of a Mother's Day sermon. Don't hang around people who will uh, make you do bad, son. That's what mothers say. What you should say anyhow. It says, for wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be a blessing to your soul. You know, there's a time in life when all of us kind of catch on to, you know, I want to be good. I want to be holy. I want to know what's good. And that's a delight to us. Now, what guards us once we're going in that direction? Look at the next line. Discretion will guard you. You've got to be careful. You've got to discriminate. You've got to make decisions. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. Now, I want you to notice right here that the writer of the Proverbs is linking the, the, the direction of evil with a person, with people in our lives. You'll see in a minute. She, she, he, she, he is linking 
the, the diversion from that upward trend of good to somebody who would take us to what Eleanor calls our trouble spot. <laughs> now, all of us have a trouble spot, or maybe several trouble spots in our life that we're used to going to. We don't get there alone. We get there through influence. It says, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of righteousness. In other words, these aren't outsiders. These people aren't going to, to the darkest uh, dens of iniquity for their bad influence. Their bad influence has been walking along with them. And the bad influence starts to, and the, and the influence starts to drift away. And they start to go with people who are already within the fold. I'll show you that in a minute in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. But it says, um, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil. How many of you recognize there is an appetite for two radically different things in your heart? Carl Sandburg once wrote, famous poet once wrote, I have an eagle in me that wants to soar, and I have a hippopotamus in me that just wants to roll around in the mud. How many of you recognize you've got both those tendencies in you? And it depends on which one you feed as to which one you become. So therefore, it also depends, watch this, on who you fellowship with as to what you feed on. That's an important lesson to learn. We've got to be able to give each other permission and to give each other encouragement and the provision to soar, to go up to the heights of heaven. We've got to be able to, to be able to say, you know, there's a right and there's a wrong, and I want to do the right, and I want my kids to do the right. Because if you're unsure of the direction, if you've not decided to follow Jesus, you'll do this all your life. Beck and I were walking the beach. We love to walk the beach. We were walking the beach Friday over at New Smyrna, and we were going, you know, we're doing our walk. And there's this, there's this big orange uh, truck over there called the Wiener Wagon. Now, Becky, Becky's very detailed, and she's a, like a proofreader person. I've been a big orange truck, and I'm, you know. And I'm, but we walk, we walk past it, and on, the, on, on this side it says Wiener Wagon. It spells Wiener, W-I-E-N-E-R. Well, we walk past. Becky, of course, checks out all the details, looks back. On this side, it spells Wiener, W-E-I-N-E-R. Now, it was apparent that they didn't know how to spell wiener. And rather than look it up, they thought they'd spell it both ways. I don't know. They could have, they could have been trying to spell winner and come out with wiener. That had be, been even more appropriate. But the point is, if we're not sure, we'll do a little of each. All our lives, we'll do a little of each. And you've got to decide on whether you want to really pursue that higher call. And if you want to pursue that higher call, even in terms of competence, or especially in terms of competence in everything, but especially in your spiritual life, you'll need to choose your peer group according to how high you want to go. Now let me tell you why. Very practical reason. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. When it comes to determining your behavior, watch this. Our behavior is chiefly determined not by values, but by closeness. Our behavior is chiefly determined not by values, 
but by closeness. Let me, let me give you kind of a startling fact this morning. There are 500 million starving children in this world. 500 million. Fact number two. We spend in this country alone $3 billion on pet food, manufactured pet food. Now, if I were to survey this congregation, I would venture to say that there is not one person in here who would say, it's more important for my pet to have manufactured pet food than it is to feed a hungry kid. That's not our values, is it? Our values would be, of course, we're going to feed the hungry kid. But how is our behavior determined? Not by our values, but by our closeness. We know our little frisky pets. We don't know those kids. So here's where our resources go. You understand? Now, how do you think your behavior in a moral sense is determined? Many times it's not determined by even what you know is right. It's determined by who you're hanging around and what they're doing. That's, that's kind of who we are. We just kind of, kind of, you know, we're kind of social beings. We kind of blend in with the folks. And what is even, even trickier is that, is that the folks we blend in who are kind of like us, enough to be with us, can subtly take us off our high calling even more than those radical sinner people. <laughs> like we aren't radical sinners, you know. Uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And let me show you what Paul said. The threat to the church was never the people on the outside. It was never the people who didn't know the Lord. He didn't try to take the church out of the world. That's not even what I'm asking you. Don't go to work. There are sinners there, you know. Don't hang Look what it says. Chapter, verse 9, chapter 5, verse 9, 1 Corinthians. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world. I mean, what do you expect? You know, why do we get mad at people out there for sinning? What are they going to do? They don't, they don't have the resources not to sin. They don't know the Savior. They don't have the goals that, that, that Christians have. Why in the world would we get mad at them? They're just doing what comes naturally. Don't get mad at those folks. Treat them with kindness. Treat them with respect. Treat them with love. But don't get mad at them. It says, it says, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, with the covetous swindlers or idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. I don't want you to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother. If he should be an immoral person, covetous or idolater or reviler or drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now, what's he saying? He's saying, you know... There's probably less of a danger of you going out and get, and, uh, at least I hope, <laughs> many of you just going out and get flat level drunk or so drugged out you don't know which way's up. There's less of a danger of you doing that than being with each other and kind of, kind of being misguided, kind of maybe lusting in your relationships or, 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 or giving the wrong kinds of hugs or, or, or uh, gossiping or, you know, those kinds of subtle things. And so what he's saying is very important for us to choose our peer groups, and watch this, to, to help our kids choose their peer groups. It says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, don't be unequally yoked. What does a believer have to do with a non-believer? 
It is, now I'm, I, know, I know some, <laughs> this was not planned. These, these sermons are planned months ahead of time. And so I know that some of you kids are just going to, you know how you shout, kill the ump. You're going to be going, kill the preacher in a minute. <laughs> but I want to tell, tell your parents something here. You not only have the permission, you have the obligation to be discerning about your children's associations. Don't say this. Well, are their parents going to be there? You know what? It doesn't matter anymore if their parents are there. Very few parents ever look into what the details of their kids or kids gathered at their house are even doing. You have the responsibility to make sure you know the details of what your kids are doing and you don't let them build friendships with people who are going to take them away from Christ. You, you know, our kids grew up, I, I, we always did this. Man, we checked up like hawks. Are you kidding? Hello, are they over there? What are they doing right now? You know? Our kids, our kids grew up, but we, we, and I wanted to raise champions. I didn't want, I didn't, well, are they, are they, are they, are they okay physically? Well, didn't they, did they do something really stupid to mess up their whole, I don't, that wasn't, that wasn't a narrow enough confine for me. We wanted to raise champions, you know? So we were on it, and our kids are always saying, don't you trust us? And my answer was always, of course not. Are you kidding? <laughs> I'm 49 years old. I don't trust me. Why would I trust you? You're 15 stinking years old. What do you know? Come on. I was. Come on. Like, when was I born? You know? Well, I know we watched star rated movies last time, but we won't this time. No, I know you won't, because you ain't going, buddy. See, we've got to just be able to step in. Why? Because we don't want to build a bunch of mediocre people, let alone mediocre Christians. I mean, I, this is cool. I, I saw, I saw, how many times? I, I, want to, I saw a, some excerpts from actual job evaluations recently from the Brit, British military. They, they had these somewhere I, I was looking. I can't remember where. But these are some actual excerpts of the job evaluations of some of those soldiers. This is the first one. First one said, this guy works well under constant supervision or when cornered like a rat in a trap. <laughs> Another one said this. This guy is depriving a village somewhere of an idiot. <laughs> I mean, it's an actual thing. <laughs> Another one says, sets low standards and consistently fails to meet them. What are we trying to build here? We've got to be focused. We've got to expect more than that. Our kids were made for more than that. We were made for more than that. Let me, let me ask even a tougher question. What is your peer group like? Are those people in your circle that you have chosen those that will lead you toward Christ or those that will lead you away from Christ? And if they are those that will lead you away from Christ, let me ask you this. Are you willing to re-choose? Because that's what you need to do if you ever want to reach the level of holiness that is available to you in Jesus Christ. It is available to you. 
And let me tell you this, you think that's pushing them away, you think that's, that's somehow discriminating or going to hurt their feelings, you will be so much more good to them if you reach the level of holiness of Jesus Christ than you ever would be if you reach the lowest common denominator with them. You will do them so much more good. You know what? I'll quit in just a minute. The four levels of competence. Watch this. Now don't quit. I promise. I want you to get your mamas to lunch. Four levels, four levels, four levels of, of competence. Ready for this? First level. Unconscious incompetence. Unconscious incompetence. Uh, think of a kid uh, 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 tying a shoe. There's a, there's, a, there's a level, you know, there's an age when a kid doesn't know what a shoe is. Couldn't care less whether or not he could tie it. Couldn't tie it in the first place. Doesn't know. There was a level in your spiritual growth when you just kind of wandered through life. You know, you say, well, I suppose there's a God up there somewhere, but I guess I'm as good as everybody else. That is unconscious incompetence. Second stage, next level up, is conscious incompetence. There comes a time in a child's life when he, when he watches you tie a shoe and he, he'd like to be able to do that, but he can't. His fingers won't work. You know, those fine motor skills or his understanding isn't there yet. But someday he wants to be able to do that. There was a time in your life when you saw a Christian and you say, man, I want what they got in their life. They are so content. They are so loving. They are so in love with God. They are so sure about their relationship with God. I want that, but I haven't got it. That was conscious incompetence. Then the next level up is conscious competence. That's a level where, where you, you, are be, you, you can do it if you, if you think hard enough about it. Let's go back to the little kid. You know, there's a, there's a time when he, he's doing it. Well, I'll do this. He's winding around, you know, and trying to, in a big old bow and a string going out that way. But he did it because he thought hard enough about it. And there was a time in your spiritual life when it took you all kinds of thinking to act like you wanted to act. There's a tremendous amount of concentration that went in on it. I remember a, 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 a chef that we knew who was in the military, and he had the worst mouth in the world. He came to Christ, you know, and he knew he had to clean up his language. Well, he'd never said more than three words without a cuss word in his life. I mean, and so, and so he was just every, trying to put together one word after another without a cuss word. It was, it was giving him a headache, especially when he was around me. He'd get even more nervous, and, and, then he'd, and then he'd make a mistake. He'd say, you know, I'm cleaning up the words here. He'd say, shoot. And then you go, oh, darn, oh, crap, oh. And he just keep cussing, you know, because he couldn't, he couldn't. It was so cute. It was like conscious competence. He was really trying. And there came a time in your life when you really had to try at this Christian thing, see? But watch the last level. Watch the ultimate level. Unconscious competence. That's when you do the right thing. You don't even think about it. You know what you're going to have to have to ever get to that level? You're going to have to live there with other, other people who are competent just by their very nature. That's your peer group. That's our peer group. And so that's what's available to you and to your children. But you've got to make hard choices about who you will allow to influence you and in what direction. Pray with me. God, thank you that you have given us a height that we can reach with Jesus Christ that we can only imagine at this stage.
And, and Lord, we ask you to take us through that narrow process that will allow us the wings to fly, that will allow us, Lord God, the character of Christ so that we can love and benefit the very people right now who might unconsciously bring us down. Help us to do it, not for ourselves, but for them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.